presents WWE New Year's Revolution. No, I think you're right, though. I was confused by the whole suck it, let's get ready to suck it yeah. mix up. Because, first of all, I was actually taking umbrage with Triple H because I was like, when you say let's get ready to suck it, usually you, you use suck it as a kind of an insulting command to your opponent mm. to suck it. Supposedly to suck you, I suppose, is the idea. But yeah. you're now saying everyone should get ready to suck it, as if it's something yeah. we can all do together and enjoy ourselves <laughs> whilst we do it. And then, and then Shawn Michaels comes along and does, as you said, the opposite. And you're like, now I'm really confused. Is it? it are we all supposed to suck it together and yeah. enjoy ourselves, or, or are you command? Are you dissing us all, or dissing your opponents by telling them to suck it? I don't. Overconfused fellatio commentary. I gotta be honest. When it first came out, the uh, I can remember the T-shirts said "suck it," but they had the little asterisks instead mm. of "you," as if "suck" was somehow swearing. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I was like, what? Well, I, I gotta be honest. I only had because it, it obviously first started in late '97, and I hadn't. I didn't have access to Sky Sports. I think the first thing I watched of that period was actually Survivor Series '97, which will be a uh, another uh, a conversation for another day, I'm sure. But so I'd read it in the magazines and all it said was S asterisk C K it. And I was like, well, sucks not a swear word. So what is the word? <laughs> like, sock it? Is that what? <laughs> no idea why they would blur that one out either. But, you know. Happy New Year to each and every one of you. And after a one-week break, we on the Random Wrestling Review are back, and not before time, as the gloomy January nights close in. We're here to bring you the expert insight, searing analysis, and complete and utter nonsense that comes out of the mouths of all who appear on this show. Joining me today is old man Sam Kerry. Hello, hello, hello. And also we have host of the True Penny Show, James True Penny, with us as well. Hello, how are you all? Very good, thank you. Good, and you'll notice I did some some shorter intros there, but that's just because it's easier for me before the show to not have to prepare, and I can just call you in. So what I thought we'd do, though, instead of those intros, I thought we'd have a little bit of a topic of discussion before we get into things. Now, we are covering today New Year's Revolution 2007, So, and this is the New Year episode of the Random Wrestling Review, so I wondered what, 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 if any, you had New Year's resolutions. Might, (laughs) Might be a cliche, might be a little bit obvious, but I thought I'd go with it anyway. Oh man, let's start with you. Any New Year's resolutions that you want to kind of confess to? You might even already, because this isn't coming out on the 1st of January, this comes out like a, a, over a week into the new year. Mm. You might already have broken it, for all I know. Yeah, I mean, the main one is to whittle my... Uh, oh, bollocks, what's the fucking... What's the... What the you, wanna, of... you, wanna, you wanna whittle your bollocks? <laughs> oh, I've completely forgotten what the carved presidents are in the rock. What's that called? Rushmore. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my Mount Rushmore down to a neat six or seven. Wrestlers, <laughs> I think. Because at the moment, the list is as long as you're on, unless you're a tiny baby, in which case it's as long as your body. <laughs> what? Um, give us a recap, Bob, man. Who's on it at the moment? Well, we got Kempatera. Of course. Val Venus. Adam Bomb. Mm. See, this is where I'm struggling. Because there's a lot of people that are just on the periphery. I think uh, a genuine one would be Austin and The Undertaker and The Rock. But I think maybe um, 
CM Punk's bollocks from the other week <laughs> on that show where Tom pointed out that we could see his bollocks through his match. And uh, yeah, lots of people really. And you two, obviously. And Tommy. And, and Matt. And Steve. <laughs> and every listener. See, you this did, is the trouble. You we're, didn't even say Mr. Wrestling 2, old man. You didn't even say Mr. Uh, Wrestling 2. It's hard to put me on the spot. I wasn't prepared for this. This is a new format. My little brain's going a million miles a minute. Would yeah. the million dollar knee lift get onto a Mount Rushmore of its own? Almost definitely, yeah. Well, it, it would probably be used to make the wall. <laughs> it's high power, you know, kind of like pneumatic. It would do the carving, and apparently Adam Bomb would be behind the million dollar knee lift because you told us a few weeks ago that he was the carver. Well, he'd be looking at it, as I said, I think, at the time, with his goggles and his eyes. Old man's Mount Rushmore has got a mythology almost as complicated as the Exiles <laughs> by this point. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> um, James, any uh, any New Year's resolutions for you? Um, I would like to get Sam to watch New Japan Pro Wrestling more often because there's a faction there that's just built for old man. It's the House of Torture, which is a sub-faction of Bullet Club, which is led by Dick Togo. Dick Togo. Therefore, you get to mention Torture and Dick in the same sentence as often as you want. Lovely. Uh, To be fair, that that sounds like a normal Thursday night. (laughs) Dick to go definitely does. <laughs> I do have to thank Lizzie Lucha from Twitter for that joke because she hit a while back and I've instantly thought Sam Carey. Here's one actually, James. So you were on about New Year's re- resolutions. So you said that you had a resolution in the summer when you were very kind to join us previously. Mm-hmm. We did Summer Sam 1997. You wanted to have a summer of Lucha. I did watch Triple Mania and I watched some Lucha, but not enough Lucha as I should have done because I kind of got lost in Japanese tournaments, which took over my life, which you can listen to on the Troopany show and see me contemplating my existence um, on a daily (laughs) month whilst I was doing it. Um, I don't know how you did it this year because you were on your own quite a lot, weren't you, this year? And I just thought it's it's taken real discipline to to get through this year. (laughs) It, the G1 wasn't so bad, but the World Tag League and Best of Super Juniors, because even New Japan didn't care about that. They like VOD'd a bunch of them, so you'd have to watch four shows on a weekend. So some episodes are like four shows long, and doing it by yourself is is less fun. <laughs> I'm laughing at old man's face. It's just like the, the dread, the idea of him watching. I think any four shows over a weekend is bad enough. Uh. Four shows of what would have ultimately been pure wrestling and probably nothing else. It really would be difficult. I, I take it there are no uh, Matt Stryker interview segments? No. The only person who spoke English on the entire tour was Zack Sabre Jr., who did come up with the line of the tour when they lost the block final night on the block night when you can win this, so don't piss about. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the literally the only English sentence like a month from Japanese and from New Japan Pro Wrestling because they did all the English stuff afterwards. So um, I, I don't know. I don't think I've got a New Year's resolution this year. Um, I think, to be honest, last year it was probably just managing to watch a wrestling show every single week, which wasn't on my resolution when I when the New Year began, but ultimately became my resolution as the year wore on. And we accomplished that. So I feel like I should just let myself off this year and not bother. But the combined New Year's revolution, revolution? Resolution. I'm going to get those two words mixed up all episode long. So look forward to that. The combined New Year's revolution of the random wrestling review is to keep facebook much more up to date this year with everything we're doing because 
<laughs> I've been so intermittent with it. And, uh, you know, I just feel like we ought to at least give those people some material, which, you know, mainly we've been focusing on Twitter because, yeah, I'm just more comfortable with it. But yeah, that's that's the combined New Year's resolution of us, the, uh, the podcast itself. So give us a follow over there and uh, join us on Facebook. Well, and obviously, Tinky, we, the thing with Twitter is that as, as we established earlier in the year, well, last year now, it's much easier because the comment section's better on Twitter, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. That's, a, that's, a, that's an in-joke for this podcast, and you may need to go back about 30 episodes to find yeah. the origins of it. But much like much like uh, the uh, the mythology surrounding Old Man's Mount Rushmore, so is the mythology as just as uh, complicated as everything else for us. So it uh, uh, should, should be good if you go back and find it. If you can't, well, tough. Um, so no, hang on. No, no. Are you going to break it down, old man? Are you? No, no. If they want to find it, they bloody find it. We don't want people half-assing us. Because <laughs> that's that'd be a saying. bad start to the new year. What you're saying, old man, is that if you're going to listen to this show, you better have listened to every one of the other 50 episodes we've done first. That's what you're saying. Yeah. So our expectations of New Year's revolution. That's the name of the pop, of the pay-per-view, Revolution. Um, what were our expectations going in? James, let's start with you this time. What, what was your expectations? I hadn't seen this show before because this was a period in my life where I'd kind of given up on the WWE and, and still have some, uh, what, 14 years later. And as I don't watch WWE anymore. And I was going through this show looking for reasons why I gave up on the product and found several of them. So that, that made me feel a lot better. So my expectations were Hades low. Um, <laughs> the hope that I would like find something in this show because you know I want to have fun with you guys and talk about it in a positive light uh, kept me going as uh, as I plowed through it. But it was you know it was cool and I and I kind of revisited the reasons why I gave up on WWE in the first place. This is interesting, see James, because you don't watch it even now. So we're talking what 14 years later. Did when did you stop? I would think probably around about 2004-ish, I would think. So we've probably. got basically 17 years, basically, 17 yes. years, maybe just over now. Yeah, and I think there will probably be people out there who will be understanding of, of why you did that. They will be understanding until they realise that you stuck with TNA right the way through to about 20 <laughs> And at which point they were like, what is wrong with this dickhead? <laughs> oh, man, what were your expectations? Well... A bit like James, I was out at this point. I was, in the words of Duncan Bannertine, I was out. <laughs> and, uh, so this would have been the January before WrestleMania 23. And my only memory of WrestleMania 23 is that it's not very good, uh, but it does have a cracking main event. But I know that that main event came about, is Cena uh, Michaels came about because of a plethora of injuries. So I was a bit concerned that this would be a hodgepodge of a lot of people just kind of plonked together in matches that don't really make any sense because I wasn't sure when the interviews, when the interviews, when the injuries (laughs) (laughs) came about. And I'm going to be honest, I might have been right in some senses, but I wasn't dreading it because I'd not seen it before as well. It was going to be a surprise to me and there were going to be, I knew there were going to be a lot of people on this card that I'd go, oh, yeah, forgot about those guys. I pretty much knew that was going to happen. And I thought, you know what? It's a new year. It's a new crust. Bring it on. 
<laughs> have we have we even explained? I don't think we have ever explained. We've just occasionally said it. That old man, your other name, nickname is also Crust. You've got yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've got two of them, and I don't think we've ever explained that there's a second uh, nickname. But that is well, true. I did allude to the Crustometer the other you week, did. and I, did. I was just assuming that people knew what that meant. <laughs> yeah, you did allude to it. You did allude yeah. to it. And I thought, well, I'll just let it slide, see if anyone cottons onto it. No one did. So uh, I thought I'd make a bigger point of it now. My expectations. So I think I'm going to make it a trio of people who were out of WWE by this point. And I think what I've realized uh, watching this match, I really had to think about it. Uh, watching this show, sorry, I really had to think about it because I was like, let me pin down the dates of when I stopped watching. And I think it is when the, the, the years I am least familiar with other than probably 2017 to 2019 are 2004 to 2000 and the end of 2007, I think. And I don't think I even watched the WrestleMania of this year or the year before, like when during the year that it happened. I think those are the only two WrestleManias I've not, I didn't watch during the period when they happened. So WrestleMania 23 didn't doesn't mean a whole lot to me, to be honest. And it's, I find it hard to place it as well a lot of the time to think about when it is and who's there and what's going on with it. So I was kind of like, oh, I don't really know a lot about this. So that kind of put me on the back foot. And i got to be honest, it took me a very long time to actually turn this show on and watch it. Like <laughs> we are recording this a little bit later than we usually do. And I was just putting it off like all week. I was like, oh, I don't I can't bother to put it on yet. And then I was like, oh, I can do it today. And then I thought, no, I don't need to. I can do it tomorrow. It's all right. And I just and I, basically I ended up doing it this afternoon. So I watched it this afternoon, which is the first time I've left it so late until we, we did the recording recording so i wasn't that looking forward to it. i was a little bit like oh this is not i'm going to struggle with this it's not going to be the kind of period i really am into but i guess as per james's thing that meant that they weren't gonna to have to do too much to impress me because my expectations are really low so um going into it that was my kind of feelings i know we don't tend to touch on the current product but that is exactly how i approach every wrestling show i watch now <laughs> is that I'm prepared for it to be a bit crap. And if it's not a bit crap, it's just above that. I'm always like, you know what? That wasn't crap. I'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently there's a podcast out there that does reviews films. And apparently at the end of the the, uh, show, they have to basically say whether it's the best film ever or the worst film ever. And that's it. They can't rate it any other way. And it sounds like, old man, that your approach to modern WWE shows is... They're either crap or not crap. There's no nothing else. It's just they're either crap or not crap. <laughs> yeah. So um, as as old man alluded to earlier on, we are going to kind of try and mix things up a little bit. We've got a slightly different format than, than usual. Not much different. We're still going to do most of the same stuff. But we're going to start off our review of the actual show by um, honing in on specific things we want to talk about first which might be the big talking points, I guess, of the show, and then covering the rest of the show after we've gone through them. And we'll each pick one to discuss. And uh, discuss. And I was going to um, start with something that effectively Old Man brought up a moment ago, which is the injuries. And one injury in particular that takes place at the end of the match between Rated RKO and DX. Now, this match is not the main event, although it's one of the big ones of the night. And it basically sees... Uh, at one point in the match, Triple H do a spine buster on, I think it's Randy Orton. And in the midst of doing it, he 
quite clearly they show a review of it later on and quite clearly his left leg kind of buckles underneath him and sustains a real life knee injury which would keep him out of action for about seven or eight months after this point um affecting as old man said their wrestlemania plans so i thought that was quite an interesting place to start because i think first of all the match itself had actually been really quite exciting to that point and then kind of crumbled into nothing afterwards and they had a really kind of odd end where triple h continued the match for like good another five minutes or so including pedigreeing edge on edge on a table and yet and then that was the end of the match they just pedigreed the two Shawn michaels had kicked the, or t- taken out the referee at some point before that and there was no official ending it was kind of a no contest type thing and i didn't know whether or not that was the original plan for the match or that was what they did because triple h got injured but it felt like a strange kind of way to divert the match given that triple h was injured and required him to tri- to pedigree someone on top of an announce table in order to end the match that way so it was really odd but i i liked the match until that point but i thought the in- the injury was the defining point and obviously became the thing that made such a big deal after this i had a little think when i was watching this like I said, I'd considered the injuries before I started watching. I think in this little fantasy land that we're not going to create, DX win this mm-hmm. and then they split up and they have a match at WrestleMania, Michaels and Triple H, because they've not done that. They'd obviously done SummerSlam. Don't know if they've done Survivor Series, but I thought, you know what, it makes sense, especially as Michaels it seemed to be, obviously he wrestled for a few years after this, but it seemed to be on the downward trajectory for his career and that kind of he might have been fading out a little bit it would have been a really interesting thing so i think also does edge get injured as well i don't think he does i had a look at this before and he and randy orton both feature in the money in the bank ladder match at wrestlemania that year but i can't see that being their position in no. the original plans for this show for some reason it feels like because they split up Rated RKO split up after this. And I believe they even dropped the tag belts the next night to Shawn mm. Michaels and John Cena. So it's all very, very strange. I can see old man's face is like, what? What's, what's going on here? It's really, really odd. It does feel like this changes all kinds of stuff. And they're in a little bit of a um, strange mode. And I, I will get onto that in a minute. But I want to, first of all, just start on by talking about that. The fact that they ended the match like this, you know, to your point, Oban, if they were going to have Triple H and Shawn Michaels win, wouldn't they have just done that ending anyway? They wouldn't have known the extent to Triple H's injury in the match itself. So why didn't they just do that if that was the original plan? I can only assume this was the original plan. Yeah, well, and also um, I didn't know what you just said about Michaels and Cena winning the tag bite, tag, the tag bouts. Tag bites. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next evening or soon after that does kind of feed into my thinking but i actually really liked the end because the end really feeds into so there's the video before this match and edge is cutting a promo in the ring and they're tr- he's trying to convince dx to have a match with rated rko and then Randy Orton drags out a predictably bloodied Ric Flair. And that kind of brings one. So they're very angry about this, understandably so. And fair play to Ric Flair, because he is bleeding like anything. And he's just dragged out on his back. But the way that it ends is just Michaels effectively punches the referee and then just goes nuts. And I did think I was like, no, you just said, Tinky, I think that might have been the end anyway. But in a slightly different way where... Maybe he just doesn't wallop the referee out of nowhere. 
because that's the one thing I think that really stands out. I can deal with them beating the crap into a rated RKO. It's the very uh, random punching of poor Mike Kyoda. Well, it wasn't Mike Kyoda. It was, um, it no, it was Marty Elias, who mm. was name-checked about 15,000 times. <laughs> <laughs> he, he takes an absolute pounding in this show, doesn't he? He certainly does. James, what did you think of the match? Uh, of the match itself? I, I'm kind of the opposite um, opinion of Sam, because it's like you've got your two up-and-coming rising stars who essentially do a stretcher job to the big stars. And the whole point is to get the younger stars over as edge and christian talk about in their promo not edge and christian edge and um uh randy orton talk about in their promos it's like we're we're about it's about us getting to the next level and becoming the big stars and then they essentially get beat up by two veterans one of whom has a duff leg um so to me it's just like i know they didn't know he was gonna have a duff leg at the end of the match <laughs> but to me it was just like i don't like that finish i i suppose it gets them out of the booking corner of having Triple H and Shawn Michaels as tag team champions because suddenly they're stuck together and you can't do anything with them, which is the problem you have with putting the belts on RKO and Edge. So, yeah, to me, it just didn't see... It It seemed a bit messy, literally and figuratively. <laughs> yeah, it was. It definitely was. And as I, and I said, um, I just don't really know what they were going for. I stand corrected, by the way. It was uh, John Cena and Shawn Michaels won the title from rated RKO on the post-Rumble episode overall ah, so it was about right, yeah. three four weeks later but still you know they they they'd obviously by that point reconfigured wrestlemania so that was how they were going to get there was putting Shawn michaels and john cena together having them then feud um as tag team champions in a kind of feud they've done many 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 times so not really a particularly original but i just yeah i just don't know what they were going for here and it felt like Ultimately, it felt like that they wanted this feud between DX and R- Rated RKO to go for some time after this, yeah. possibly all the way to just before WrestleMania, at which point they'd split them off in some way. But I don't I just don't know how. But ultimately, I thought the match was actually really quite good um, until the moment Triple H got injured and then it fell apart. It got messy and it just didn't really make a lot of sense. And some of that was because of the injury. And some of that also seemed to be because of the pre-planned idea for the match. So I don't know how much to let them off for the fact that Triple H got injured <laughs> towards the end of the match in terms of, of this ending. Could I just raise a point on the uh, little pre-match for DX? So yeah. they come out and they're doing their little little stick. Triple H does his... Uh, let's get ready to suck it thing. Classic stuff. No, not for me, especially in 2007. Crowd lapping it up. Shawn Michaels then takes the mic and then goes, if you're not down with that, we got two words for you. Suck it. And I was a bit like, <laughs> hang on. <laughs> hang on. <laughs> you know, we, we, we've just done this. But I do want to give a little nod of respect to those two lads, uh, the old DX lads, because they, they're doing their little stick and they're having some fun in Triple H just before he does his little suck it thing, does say, now we're going to turn into butt kicking DX in two minutes once we've done this. And I quite liked that they acknowledged it. Because when they started doing it, I was like, hang on a minute. I've just seen Ric Flair be dragged from the back, a bloodied mess, looking like a stubbed toe. <laughs> and and you're there just having a little laugh, and Shawn Michaels is running around the ring like a little kid. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to stub my toe around you, old man. That's the most violent stubbed toe I've ever seen. Well, we all know Tom's fear. Yeah, I know he's not here true. today. His fear of stubbing his toe. Perhaps that's why he can make it this week. 
<laughs> Perhaps so. He was Poor busy stubbing lad. his toe. <laughs> yeah. he's, bu- he's busy blading himself before he stubbed <laughs> his toe and then stubbing his toe. <laughs> this is a tough podcast you've got to be on if you've got a blade for it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's it. You've got you really got to dedicate yourself to your craft uh, to be on this one. Um, you know what? I'm glad we focused on DX so much because Triple H is wearing the like American football style jersey and it's got Triple H 69 on the back. <laughs> and I mean, he must be 40 at this point. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, mate. Uh, Raisuki Taguchi of New Japan Pro Wrestling has is known as Coach, and he has different sports shirts as part of his character, which all have 69 on them, and he's kind of close to 40. Also, <laughs> refused to go up to heavyweight so he could become the 69th junior heavyweight champion. <laughs> See, at, at least there's, there's a theme. <laughs> there's an ambition, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, that, that was what I want to talk about. Anyway, I thought that was probably one of the biggest talking points coming out of the show. Old man, let's, what, what, anything you specifically would like to pull out from this show? Well, we've got to go for your favourite thing, Tinky, I think. The special bonus match. The old <laughs> tag team turmoil match. I don't like these matches at all because they just don't work. No one gets any time to look even semi-decent in them. And... It really make any sense. And when you prefix it with special bonus match, you're like, well, they really are chucking this together. But I was excited because I was like, there's going to be a lot of people here that I'm not going to have remembered. So we've got Robbie Rory, the Highlanders, world's greatest tag team, obviously Charlie Haas, with lovely long hair, well, longish hair, long for me, and uh, Shelton Benjamin. Yeah, but Shelton Benjamin's got long hair for you, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> And uh, we've also got eventual winners, Crime Time. Yo, 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 it's Crime Time. We've got Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch. Can, can I just stop you there? Can you yeah. give me a proper title? Current NWA heavyweight champion, Trevor Murdoch. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, current <laughs> NWA heavyweight champion, Trevor Murdoch, who is 26 at this point. And I was like, God, he looks old for 26. And I looked at a picture of him from the last show he did. Looks exactly the same. So I was like, you know what? Born 40, I reckon. <laughs> Which makes him the ideal NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. The real, the real stars of this are the, where is it? I think they're the, third te- they're the second team in. <laughs> so the Highlanders get eliminated. And then I hear the familiar, oh, what the legion is going on here? Jim Duggan, Haxel Jim Duggan. And super crazy. I mean, even the commentators, I don't think they knew it was happening. Because they're like, oh, there's a great, a strange pairing. Like, I think they might use the term strange bedfellows, which conjured all sorts of images, to be honest. I mean, Jim Duggan is wearing horrendous pants, but they're like short type pants. So he's not fully committed to pants because they're kind of, Little pants with shorts over the top of them. Don't blame them. But I was like, how's this happened? How's this happened? And then Duggan's in there. He's selling like crazy for the world's greatest tag team. Give it his little thumb up before he goes, oh. Is he selling like crazy or is he selling like super crazy? Oh, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's selling like crazy when the crowd are just chanting for super crazy. 
Mm. And then Super Crazy gets in, and he's absolute fire for the 92 seconds he gets. <laughs> and then they're out. If, if that, if that. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, we've, we've peaked here, haven't we? And I thought, oh, you never know. And then Caden Murdoch's amazing music hits. And I was like, ah, go on, we'll have this. And obviously, uh, Lance Cade sadly passed away. Uh, not actually not long after this, I don't think. It was he was the, he was a very young young little whippersnapper, but that changed the dynamic of the match quite a lot because it's then heel versus heel, and old Shelton Benjamin for a little bit tries to play the sympathetic baby face <laughs> when he's trying to get a tag, and I was like, no, it doesn't work. And then Crime Time come in, and there's another gentleman who's obviously sadly not with us anymore, uh, Shad Gaspard, who's a bit of a hero. For those who don't know, as he passed away saving his son from drowning. I've not really ever said that out loud. It kind of got me in the gut then. It was like a punch in the guts then. Um, I didn't like this, but I loved Jim Duggan. And I loved the fact that they thought this was a good idea. So you've clearly got a very thin roster. This is a Raw only show as well. Yeah, It's quite a thin roster. And you've thought the way that we're going to get around this thin roster is we're going to chuck 10 people in a match. It's not the smartest thing they've ever done. And also, we didn't get enough of the Highlanders, who I actually thought, out of all of them, looked pretty good in the couple of minutes they got. And there's a little tag where I think his Robbie tags Rory in, just slaps him in the face. <laughs> Lovely. Hey, that's Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is true. Uh, James, what did you think of the match? I was I actually enjoyed it because it was kind of like non part of the story of the show. So it was like, oh, I don't have to worry about not knowing stuff about this or have not watched TV at the time. Um, so for me, and it was like, oh, I've seen him wrestle somewhere else a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, ah, oh, yes, I did know who these people were after they left this promotion and went to somewhere else. So it was it was enjoyable for me. I actually quite enjoyed the match. I didn't mind the the lack of psychology so much because it was just like, ah, oh, it's brain unplug and watch wrestling time. So I didn't mind it. However, as a business decision, I can see where Sam's coming from. It's, it, it seems a bit redundant. You're just employing people for the sake of it rather than using that time perhaps more wisely to build other people up. I, I like this match surprisingly large amount. When it came out and they were like tag team turmoil, I was like, this is going to be fucking rubbish. I, and I, that's even ignoring the fact they said it was the special bonus match. I was like, they said the bonus match. I was like, well, okay, great. That gives me something to say anyway on the podcast. And then um, then tag team turmoil. I was like, oh, no, this is just there's never been a good tag team turmoil turmoil ever. And then this and I was like, this is easily the best tag team turmoil match I've ever seen. <laughs> As you said, old man, the Highlanders come out first. They're against the world's greatest tag team. Um, they, the world's greatest tag team, eliminate the Highlanders. Then we get Jim Duggan and Super Crazy. They're eliminated. Then Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch come out. They defeat the world's greatest tag team, and then Crime Time are last, and they defeat Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch. A couple of um, honorable mentions here: Trevor Murdoch, who is, as you said, the NWA current NWA heavyweight champion. I, I bloody love Trevor Murdoch. We've seen him in two matches so far on this podcast, and I have liked him both times. I think he's very, very good. And I think it's a real shame that this tag team weren't made more of a deal of. I don't understand why they would get rid of these two. They're just so different from everything else they've got. They look the part. They wrestle really. Like, I really like the way they work. 
Um, and I just I, I'm just it beggars belief to me that they weren't kept on longer from what I've seen. Equally, the treatment of Shelton Benjamin. I mean, what's that about? Now he's gone from <laughs> he's gone from being in Team Angle and the world's greatest tag team. And they're really exciting. Great tag team. Then given a singles run where he's Intercontinental Champion like three times and has some amazing matches. And then he's buried back in the tag team with Charlie Haas. Not that Charlie Haas is bad, but they've obviously completely lost interest by this point in both of them. The only thing they can think to do is put them back in a tag team. Really, really bizarre. And then, as you said, super crazy. Gets about 90 seconds, if that. And he's tagging up with Jim Duggan. And he's easily the most popular guy in the match. It's crazy. (laughs) It's absolutely crazy. I think that as old as Jim Duggan must be whilst this match is going on, and he looks quite old whilst it's going on, he is about as good as he's ever been. Because Jim yeah. Duggan's never really been any good. So it didn't matter that he was really old. He's never been particularly fast. He does exactly everything he did when he was, I don't know, 35, went in his peak in the WWF. And I thought, yeah, great. If you're going to take anyone from that period and put them here, might as well be him because he's never been any good. So it was uh, <laughs> it was, it was, was fine. But yeah, I, 19 minutes this match lasted. And I, uh, I really, I mean, I won't go as far as to say it's amazing, but it's a... I think the best tag team turmoil match I've ever seen. Not that that says a lot, I admit, but uh, yeah, enjoyable stuff. I, I did enjoy this match. Is saying it's the best tag team turmoil match you've ever seen the equivalent of saying that's the best smelling fart that stinks of shit I've ever done? <laughs> similar, similar, uh, yes, yeah, a little bit similar sentiment, I would, I would suggest. So, uh, James, what was your uh, kind of thing that you wanted to pull out and talk about? Jerry Lawler as a babyface, the mm. point. I'm listening to him and I'm like, you are not contributing anything to the conversation whatsoever. All you appear to be doing is stopping Jim Ross from talking and telling jokes that don't land because you're not a heel anymore, so they make no sense. And then rooting for the babyfaces a little bit when you get the opportunity to. But it seemed like he was phoning it in. Uh, an epic amount and when Jim Ross is the funnier of the two I am concerned (laughs) (laughs) because obviously I didn't see this section having stopped watching WWE in the time period I didn't see his baby face run and I'm like this this isn't that interesting it's better than no commentary (laughs) but perhaps not as good as Japanese commentary so they thought yeah and I don't understand Japanese commentary, but I can understand the peaks and troughs and the valleys of the voices. Whereas this is just like one person on the peaks and troughs and the valleys of the voices and the other person just kind of going on a flat road, if that makes sense. It just didn't seem to work for me. Over a time, I've posed many difficult questions to both Tom and Old Man. And I'm going to pose one to you now, James. And that is to ask, who is worse? Is it Jerry Lawler during his babyface run? Or what's his face? Joey, Jerry, what's his bloody name? <laughs> Joey Matthews, is it? I want to say Joe Matthews, but that ain't right. It's Josh Matthews. Josh, Josh Matthews. Matthews, that's the bugger. Josh Ooh, Matthews. Josh Matthews or I know Lola. you particularly hate Josh Matthews. Yes. So I wanted to, I wanted to pick you up. <laughs> I hate's a strong word, but correct in this instance. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I think Lawler is merely redundant whereas Josh is actively detracting from the product. Like, I could ignore Lawler after a while. I tuned him out, and I just turned the volume off when 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 Josh is commentating. He has improved since he stopped doing it. <laughs> <laughs> 
He start, he's improved since he stopped doing the volunteer. Yeah, yeah. He does the odd show every once in a while, and I can like I can put up with that because he's like a producer for Impact now and Striker and um, um, D'Lo Brown do commentary for Impact. Um, and they're very good, and I enjoy their work. And then occasionally you'll get Josh, and it's like, okay, I can put up with this because I know I'll get Striker back. It's a really interesting point you've made about Lorna because I surprisingly don't have any notes about the commentary on here and I normally pick up on it and I think you're exactly right James it's just he's redundant on this yeah it's just JR steering everything and doing a bloody good job of it I must say but you are exactly right he adds nothing he's not tedious he's not terrible he is just nothing he's just A carrot that makes noise every now and then. (laughs) He does look like in the episode of Bottom where they've got the carrot, the the really hot carrots. And there's one bit where Eddie (laughs) lifts one up and it's got a little smiley face on it. It does look like that. I'll have to try and find that picture and put it up on the socials just so everyone's clear about what I'm talking about. Um, Have you got any exploding carrots? (laughs) That's the one, yeah. no, I, I, it's funny, actually, because this is still not quite PG WWF at this point. And no. when it becomes PG WWE in like 2008, I think it is, Jerry Lawler becomes even more pointless because the only thing he does that's different to Jim Ross, not that it's good, but it's different, is that he does all the pervy stuff. So it kind of kicks in immediately with the first entrance of the show, which is uh, John, Johnny Nitro and, and Melina. And immediately he's taking, he's at great pains to tell us how much he finds Melina attractive. And that is a continuing theme throughout his commentary throughout. Once we get to the PG WWE, he doesn't even do that because he's not allowed to anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> he's literally like, I mean, it, that's arguably uh, an improvement, except it means that Jerry Lawler literally com- contributes absolutely nothing to the to the overall and um yeah i think you're you're probably right i think the thing is that we've seen jerry lawler as a babyface on in in the shows we've covered over the last year quite a lot and by this point i've kind of zoned him out he's no longer really a factor for me when i'm watching these shows but i i barely noticed the commentary really throughout and that's partially because jim ross is such an old hand and kind of just yeah, yeah. getting through it but jerry lawler's really not doing anything either there, there was some uh awkward commentary about young women and prosecutions which they probably should have left well alone but they went there and then moved on swiftly afterwards that was the only like where my ears went uh why are you talking about this because of lawless past obviously but that was the only the only time i kind of like lawless said something interesting horrible but interesting (laughs) (laughs) yeah i couldn't believe that i'd heard that when they said it i can't remember the exact phrase that's used but i was like oh i hope this doesn't go any further and it doesn't i was like oh that was strange wasn't it i could just imagine just vince in their ear just having an aneurysm (laughs) <laughs> just being like get away from this just stop telling people that you were accused of rape yeah. who, who 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 brings it up though because it would surprise me if either of these brought up for different reasons like it would surprise me jim brought it up I because he wouldn't be comfortable and it would surprise me that jerry lawler brings it up because it's about him <laughs> I, I i think they kind of meander into it i think i think it's they're in the carlito no it'd be through yeah no it'd be the carlito christmas masters match and obviously tory wilson at young side they mentioned young lady and it just kind of like 
blurts out halfway through it. Mm -hmm. It'd be intriguing to see if it's actually on the Peacock presentation of this in the States or whether they edited it out. Well, I think they're all I think they're all exactly the same because I think right. what they've done is they've edited the source material, which links to the various different places. Yeah. Um. So I think what from what I understood is that everything that's edited for Peacock is edited basically at the very basic level to the link that's linked everywhere. The kind of redundancy of, of Lola, that one comment stood out. But yeah, it's just just didn't seem to be need necessary, really. Sure. No, that, 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 that definitely makes sense. Um, so I tell you what, let's uh, let's take a break and we'll be back and we'll discuss the rest of the show uh, in chronological order. Should be much more comfortable for us all, I'm sure. <laughs> so an unbelievable, bloody, controversial ending to that world tag team match, and yet there is still one title that will be defended tonight, and that, of course, is the WWE Championship, which will be defended by my guest at this time, ladies and gentlemen, the WWE Champion, John Cena. John, tonight you attempt to do something that no one's been able to do, be it Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Kane, the list goes on and on. No one has been able to beat Umaga. It's clear that the Samoan Bulldozer wants some. Will he get some? <laughs> I see what you're trying to do. This is the, the pre-match interview. We want me to talk a little trash and hype up the match, right? Yeah, sure. Okay, okay, here it goes. Tonight, the irresistible force meets the immovable object in one corner. The undefeated Umaga in the next, the WWE Champion John Cena. Something's got to give! There can only be one. I will hit the ring with the strength of a thousand men. Lightning will shoot from my ass. And when the dust settles, Umaga will say his first words. Blah, 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 blah. Which everybody knows is Samoan for I just got the crap beat out of me. Is that uh, kind of what you were looking for? That was pretty good. Yes, it was good, but it's not the truth. You see, the truth is tonight I face a man who's never been pinned. Tonight I face a man that's never been forced to submit. A man that's almost never been in danger. A man who's who's almost never left his feet. Tonight, my opponent is a man who has decimated every single thing in his path. And now, unfortunately for me, has his sights set on the WWE Championship. What the hell you want me to do? Tell him no? Go hide under a rock and hold out the WWE Championship? Hey, take it, man. Just don't hurt me. No. Tonight, I'm going to do the only thing I know how to do. You see, Todd, I'm not undefeated. I'm not unstoppable, but everybody out there knows that I am damn proud to call myself the WWE Champion. There's people like you and like Estrada who say Umaga's untouchable and Umaga's got an undefeated streak a mile long. Well, I say nothing lasts forever. Nothing is impossible and nothing will stop me from fighting like hell and walking out of Kansas City, the WWE Champion. Okay, welcome back to the show. Uh, so we're going to go through everything else now in chronological order, beginning with the fact that when we joined this show 
from the get-go we we basically go straight into it straight into the arena and there's a cage being lowered and we are told that the, the first match will be a cage match for the intercontinental title and then we go into the new year's revolution intro video so it's a very strange ordering for wwe it's not regular the way they would normally do it and when we come back we find out that that match is going to be jeff hardy and Johnny Nitro facing one another, as I say, for the Intercontinental title in a steel cage. And uh, this match ends after 15 minutes, and it ends when Jeff Hardy is uh, crawling towards the the door as John, Johnny Nitro is trying to climb out. Uh, Melina is standing in front of the door to try and prevent uh, Jeff Hardy from getting out of the ring. She then sees uh, J- Johnny Nitro just about to get over the top and so gets out of the way. But then as she does so, Jeff Hardy drop kicks the, the cage door. It forces Johnny Nitro down and he falls crotched on the top of the door and then Jeff, Jeff Hardy walks out of the out of the cage. That was the best I could get that ending out and explain it because it's relatively complicated, although actually I thought it was quite good, quite original, different kind of ending. Yeah, so this Jeff Hardy-Johnny Nitro match. Oh man, what were your thoughts on the match? I thought this was very good. I must say, I was expecting this to be pretty tidy stuff with these two I really like the finish that you've just broken down beautifully. <laughs> so there's the uh, Johnny Nitro does the sunset flip from the cage as Jeff Hardy's on the top rope into a power bomb, which is a thing of beauty. But apart from that, there's nothing that really stands out in terms of it, but it's just got a great energy. There's a really nice flow to the match. They managed to tell a nice little story. Melina does her bit on the outside very well because she is, um, you know she's going to get involved, but she's not explicitly every single time. She's not over-egging the interference pudding, if you will. <laughs> sorry, she's, oh, uh, man, sorry. The the what? <laughs> <laughs> the interference. But did you boys not have an interference pudding on New Year's Eve? No, no. Sorry, I, no. I, I I will say, having watched an awful lot of New Japan lately, and the aforementioned House of Torture, there is an interference pudding, and the House of Torture are the definition of overegging to that particular pudding. <laughs> so I feel completely what Sam is talking about. Thank you very much, James. Thank you for backing me up on it. Because Tinky was looking at me like I'd asked the little marbles. <laughs> yeah, just really, really good stuff, this. Just very enjoyable. A couple of little notes on the uh, entrance way before we get into the rest of the show that we haven't covered so far. Dragon Flames for each entrance, just by the Titan Tron, which was fantastic. Uh, there is a phenomenal, and I mean phenomenal, bold spot on a gentleman who is <laughs> on the hard camera side. It looks like a load of eggs in a nest. It is absolutely amazing. And before we get into the rest of the show, and obviously James gives his uh, opinion, and you give your opinion, Tinky, on the on this match, just want to bring us to a little somber. Tyron Faxton of the week. So this takes place at the Kansas City, then known as the Kemper Arena, which is the arena where on the 23rd of May 1999, Owen Hart unfortunately plummeted to his death. And it was also the location in October of that year of the Bret Hart-Chris Benoit tribute match. Tyron Faxton of the Week. Not to make light of your sombre Byron Faxton of the Week, but for a yeah. minute there, I thought it was going to be about the bold guy, the guy with the bold spot. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, I probably should have led with the fact. <laughs> yeah, that, that might have been that. Might have made sense. Yeah, you could have had the levity afterwards to get through it. Now, the interesting thing here is that we've had James on the show twice so far. Uh, here, in New Year's Revolution 2007, WWE opened with a cage match. And that's exactly what they did yes. at the last time we had mm. James on, which SummerSlam 97, the cage match between Triple H and Mankind. So, James, how did you find this one? I, I was concerned initially, as it is under the clearly inferior WWE slash F cage match rules, which I don't like, which is escape the cage. And I was concerned it may filter my enjoyment. However, I did like the ending, and it's the best escape the cage ending I've ever seen, I think. I've watched a lot of WWE cage matches from the previous time period. And so I, I kind of like that one. And I did like the match. The thing that stuck out about me was just like Jeff Hardy's mobility compared to, well, now, no knock on a guy who is clearly dealing with some stuff at the moment. But like, obviously, it was 13 years ago, he's wrestled a lot. And, but if I remember correctly, he's only had one major injury, which was the broken leg he did from the bike jump when he was with Impact. And it's amazing he has the mobility he does now, but he's still kind of, I don't watch the show regularly, but I still see bits of him. It's like, that's an incredible amount of agility for a guy who's been doing this this long. But you realize how much mobility is lost in the time period since. But equally, Johnny Nitro slash Morrison doesn't seem to get any less amazing as an athlete he can still do all those things he used to do then and i'd argue he's a better wrestler now from his more recent work because he's got more timing and it's not all just athleticism it's much better storytelling going on however for two guys in this time period i thought it was really cool i really enjoyed the way the match laid out so it was it was already getting my expectations up of notch or three and i liked it for that point of view um and i loved that ending so that was really cool but yeah, the thing I'm kind of be I'm kind of being comparative because it's like that's the thing that goes in my head. But it is intriguing to me how both of them are pretty still pretty good um, in comparison to what they could do back then. But I think like Morrison has probably jumped leaps and bounds in the time since because he's really learned how to put a match together and present himself as the total package. Uh, not that Jeff Hardy hasn't, but you know that's kind of what stands out to me is like you know that was really cool for the time and look how they've developed since. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess Jeff Hardy, even by this point, was still technically a veteran. I mean, he'd been wrestling since 96, 97, yeah. when he was about 16 years old. So he'd, he'd already been over a 10-year pro by this point. And it w- it's not surprising that, that John Morrison, Johnny Nitro, would go on to improve because he was much less experienced than Jeff Hardy was, I think. And mm. they clearly were high on him from the beginning. I mean, he went, he was in Eminem, which got quite a big push immediately. Uh, they won the tag team titles a number of times. Then they kind of broke them up, but in a non-feudy way. They, I think they drafted them to different brands. And then Johnny Nitro, as he was then known, went straight into a singles run as an Intercontinental Championship contender. And he would then become John Morrison. And they would continue to sort of pursue that push until it kind of fizzled out a couple of years later. So they, they were obviously quite high on him at the time. I thought this was the best match of the night. This was my match of the night, this one. Yeah. Um, and that's the other thing we were going to say is we're going to kind of as we go through we're going to name our match of the night and our mvp as we go through which is another slight change to the way we do things um yeah and this is my match tonight i just thought it was really quite impressive there were some really cool high spots as uh, old man said 
there's there was the kind of sunset flip power bomb that took place at one point there was also a swanton bomb there was also a twist of fate off the top rope by jeff hardy on on johnny mm. nitro it was it was just they had lots of little spots here and there that that kept it ticking over and the end original i don't think i'd seen an end like this before a bit different good to see yeah all in all pretty good and i said 15 minutes not a bad length either i mean we we've already spoken about a couple of the other matches and the tag match was 23 and a half minutes um and the and the tag team turmoil was nearly 20 minutes so we had quite a few lengthy encounters here that we've talked about already it would be remiss to not mention this how much must that finish have hurt john morris (laughs) johnny nitro because there's no way he ain't crushed his bollocks. Absolutely no way. I can see no way. I was trying to figure out after. I was like, is there any way that he can land that that he hasn't? No way. I, Unless I'm he's taking them inside himself, like a sumo wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always interested in this, though. I don't never. I never know how they do this spot where they land. No like crotched on on top of something and i was like do they do they god forbid do they take it on the bum like as if it's maybe a little bit less uncomfortable i don't know i can't explain it but you're right this one especially as the the door itself is very thin i i don't know i don't know and on james's point as well about the cage so obviously the cage rules are the escape rules which james doesn't like as we've established last time he was on (laughs) but also it's not blue bars is it it's not all blue bars so it's not that going against it so Um, although this is the more traditional cage because this was what they used to do back before blue bars really but um blue bars just must must be so much easier to climb (laughs) yeah this is this was kind of much closer to my nwa heart if you will Mm. this cage has got a bit to it we watched one and i can't remember now off the top i watched one the other week where the give in the uh, in the like mesh fencing was so much that you couldn't believe that anything hurt. It was the uh, X Pac Kane match, and it was just took me out of it completely. Whereas with this, well, for a start, they're not really lobbing each other into it, and they're not big guys, so there's not going to be the give that there was when Kane was throwing X Pac into it, and vice versa. But I think it's a, just a better match overall as well. So I'm going to be less nitpicky. So after this match, Todd Grisham interviews our rated RKO backstage. And um, he asks them, how did things become so personal? Ed says that they formed to take Degeneration X out. He says tonight they're not just going to beat them. Orton says Ric Flair got his head crushed like a grape. He says HBK <laughs> and Triple H have been beaten down on a number of occasions. And he says rated RKO are fighting for their future. Edge says that the DX reunion was fun and it sold a lot of T-shirts, but tonight it's over. We've already talked about that match, but I don't know if there was any promo, uh, any any comment read on the promo. I'd just like to add that the tag team titles are horrendous. (laughs) Absolutely (laughs) horrible. Like, these are tag belts I can't even remember. But um, I did notice that both Rated and RKO, they cut basically identical promos. It's really (laughs) odd. I was like, yeah, he's just said that. And then RKO says something, then Rated says it, and then Rated says it, and then RKO says it. And I was like, they really are. They're one person. Is that how we're referring to these two wrestlers from now on? So even when they're not together, it's Rated in RKO. Well, obviously, only when they're together. Well, I know that James referred to Randy Orton as RKO earlier. So I thought, you know what? Let's keep it rolling. At least in his case, it's his initials, whereas... 
rated as just <laughs> just a part of Edge's <laughs> ringing. Why not? Why not, indeed. So next up, the tag team turmoil match happens, which we've discussed already. Then we get another bit of backstage stuff, this time with Vince and Coates. Now, this is very, very random. Um, and I only kept... <laughs> I only caught a few bits and pieces of this, so bear with me. I'll do my best. So Vince McMahon is in philosophical mood as this backstage <laughs> bit begins. He says, oh, why can't we all just get along? Whatever happened to civility? He's uh, talking about a magazine article, which is about Donald Trump and Rosie O'Donnell saying some things about each other, apparently. He says that the article is almost something like something out of WWE. Well, actually, Coach says that first. And then Vince, as if he hasn't heard Coach, says it himself. Vince then says that they should resolve it with physical abuse and says he wants a match between Donald Trump and Rosie O'Donnell on Monday Night Raw. Coach gets very excited, waxes lyrical about Vince's idea and his you're fired catchphrase, which he's taking back from Donald Trump, who stole it for The Apprentice. And then at the end of it, as Jonathan Coachman is looking on in admiration at Vince McMahon, Ron Simmons turns up, the camera pans to him, <laughs> and he says, damn. <laughs> yeah, what, what, what do you want to say about that? So obviously Ron's the real class act here. King is very excited about the prospect of Rosie O'Donnell and Donald Trump having a scrap on rule. I mean, fuck me. So I, I was like, I need to know whether this actually happened. It did. So the next <laughs> night on rule, they have a match and it ended with a hairbutt, which was Donald Trump kind of headbutting Rosie O'Donnell. I see. I mean, fuck me. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate that for everyone listening to this and everyone that I have told and talked about wrestling with, appreciate how stupid it can be when you've got donald trump and rosie o'donnell in a match on the flagship wrestling show in the world let's be honest it's fucking pathetic isn't it well absolutely pathetic well don't don't knock it because other than i believe the wrestlemania 29 uh, or 28 maybe wrestlemania 28 which was the biggest selling wrestling pay-per-view of all time wrestlemania 23 which included obviously donald trump was the second, I believe, second biggest no pay-per-view of all way. time. Absolutely. Wow. Massive That's... it was. It was absolutely massive. Yes. Uh, 1.2 million buy rate. Yeah, absolutely massive. Oh. So. Okay, right. So I'm just going to run through the card for the audience. <laughs> so Carlito and Rick Flair defeated Chavo Guerrero and Gregory Helms in a lumberjack match massive. in the pre-show. Yeah. Mr. Kennedy won the Money in the Bank ladder match with CM Punk, Edge, Finley, Jeff Hardy, King Booker, Matt Hardy, and Randy Orton. That's pretty stacked. I've got to say, that is stacked to the gills, to be honest. And you've got Queen Shamel in King Booker's corner. Then you've got the great Kali defeating King. Clash Chris of Benoit. the Titans. Oh, man, Clash yeah. of the Titans. Uh, Chris Benoit defeating MVP. We saw them have a two out of three falls match, and it was crap. The Undertaker versus Batista, which is actually a cracking little match. Then the ECW Originals, RVD, Sabu, Sandman, Tommy Dreamer, versus the New Breed, Elijah Burke, Kevin Thorne, Marcus Corvon and Matt Stryker. And then uh, obviously Bobby Lashley with Donald Trump versus Umaga with Armando Alejandro Estrada and Mr. McMahon with Austin as the referee. Then Melina versus Ashley in a predictably long-winded lumberjill match, which lasts 23 minutes, 40 seconds. And then Cena, Shawn Michaels. I mean, there is nothing I would pay for. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Can I just get go back to that Lumberjill match? Did you say it was 23 minutes and 40 seconds? No, three minutes. 
<laughs> that's it that sounds like an epic let's get it on let's see what it's like james i didn't know if there's anything you want to talk about i mean i wonder i wonder whether or not you just completely kind of sworn off wrestling as a whole and um <laughs> after hearing about the old uh, vince McMahon jonathan coachman scene but who knows you know the face that sam had when he just went Ugh! that's that's how i felt about wrestling in wwe at this particular moment in time for reasons like this and given what we know now they may have just hastened, nearly hastened Armageddon by doing that. So it was wrong. Well, obviously Tom hadn't seen this particular backstage segment when he said it, but two weeks ago on our last episode, John uh, Tom said, and I quote, thank God for sports entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe he wants to reconsider after seeing this particular backstage segment. Next up, Kenny Dykstra. Uh, comes to the ring dressed in a Ric Flair like robe. He then cuts a promo on Flair where he intros a video showing Flair being attacked by rated RKO on uh, Monday Night Raw and says that he can hear Flair's excuses already. Um, he says that everyone is sick and tired of seeing Flair get beaten up and says that they'll see it again tonight. So that then precedes the match between Kenny Dykstra and Ric Flair, a 10 minute contest, which ends when Kenny hits a low blow and then wraps him up in a small package to get the pin. Um, and that's the end of the match. So, uh, James, let's start with yourself. This this was kind of a variation on the standard Ric Flair match. It was shorter, but Rick isn't at peak condition by this particular point in his career. And Dykstra's OK. He just he, he seems a bit lifeless in the personality stakes for a wwe wrestler at this particular time period so i can see why you know he isn't a hall of famer yet um but i mean it was possible for what it was but it was i'm just like is this really going to get kenny dagstra over as the next big star because i have a feeling it won't and time has proven that i was right in reverse but yeah no there's nothing wrong with it as far as like well it's a 10 minute match the the didn't really do anything for anybody as far as a wrestling match is concerned it seemed again rather redundant i like the fact that you took such pride in predicting that kenny dykstra wouldn't be <laughs> a major star some 14 years after this match took place. um he's actually only 20 years of age uh, as this match they actually say it during commentary but i checked it it is true 20 yeah. years of age when this match took place so still time then still yeah, yeah there is you're absolutely <laughs> yeah. Right. so you could yet be proven wrong and that would be perhaps the widest of the mark anyone had ever been <laughs> if he ends up being a main event star in wwe i fear not somehow <laughs> poor old kenneth there's a little pre-video which is a little bit of nothing to be honest but kenny dykstra comes down to a to attack a stricken Ric Flair after Ric Flair takes an RKO from RKO. Ric Flair sells this RKO fantastically. It is incredible how well he sells this. For a man, I think he's 56 at this point in time. It is incredible. He gets his whole body up. Oh, fantastic stuff. And then you get the bad of Ric Flair because, like I just said, he's a 56-year-old man with a back problem that's been in existence for about 30 years at this point after he was in the plane crash so kenny dykstra goes you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna put a boston crab on this old fire <laughs> and it is the worst boston crab i've ever seen it is effectively rick flair led down with his legs bent up and someone holding on to his shins it is pathetic and it really it's on for quite a while it really took me out of it but 
away from that, I thought this was all right. It's 2007 Ric Flair. I was expecting something horrendous. I got to be honest. I was expecting to be hiding behind the sofa, given some of the Ric Flair stuff we've seen. I think back to the Carlito match that he had, where it was like 15 minutes of just slow shit. And I also take it into account that he's against a 20-year-old. I do completely agree with James in that I don't really know what it does for anyone. And I was also a little bit frustrated with the finish because there'd been a lot of people punching the other person in the corner in the match. And the, the finish comes when basically Ric Flair is punching, not even particularly wailing on Dykstra in the corner. And Mike Kyoda drags him away. Mm. And then does yeah. it again, and then he drags him away, and then he pushes Kyoto away, and then it's the low blow. But it's just really such a flimsy little finish. I don't know why they couldn't just have him roll him up and grab his tights. It would make so much more sense. I'm oh, sorry to interrupt, Sam, but they were going to use that finish later on the show, which is probably the reason why they didn't do that. Fair point, well made. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> you know what? Otherwise, I thought this was all right. This was as good as I could have hoped, yeah. which... Is very much damning with faint praise, let's be honest. Yeah, it was all right. It was all right. Um, before I go into my thoughts on the match, a little bit of an update on old Dykstra. Um, it is too late. He retired in uh, April of last year. So uh, he's done. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Still in age 35, so could come back, but you never know. They seem to be quite um, up on Kenny Dykstra. I mean, they he was obviously part of the Spirit Squad, along with Dolph Ziggler at the time. And... For whatever reason, they saw him as the one that had the most future. He was definitely the one who was spotlighted when the Spirit Spirit Squad were still together. He was the one most often who would have singles matches on Raw, who would be involved in tag team matches when the belts were on the line. I think they were kind of champions for a brief period. So he he obviously was there, the guy that they thought was the most likely to be ready for turning into a single star on this evidence i think they were wrong in the sense that i think he's just very green at this point i don't mm. think he's yeah. he doesn't appear to really have appeared to be ready yet for uh, national television and i think his performance here kind of shows that it's not particularly uh standout and he is young enough that you thought they would just you know hold him off and look at perhaps one of one of the other guys who also they probably were also equally young though so i don't know but it just felt like a strange assumption that this guy had something when as i said from here it looks like he's quite green it's all right it's it's perfectly okay the thing i don't like about the end on top of the fact that he's inconsistent and i hate it when they do things that are inconsistent in terms of the refereeing but it's also that i think if you're going to use rick flair and you're going to show him to be a match for people who are half his age which is something that happens here, I guess. In fact, much less than, much more yeah. than half his age, <laughs> uh, much less than half his age. He should be the one doing what Kenny Dykstra does. Yeah. He's supposed to be the wily old veteran, the dirtiest player in the game. He should uh, be able to outthink everybody in every match. That should be the only way he should be able to compete. And yet he's the one who gets outsmarted. And you're like, that's just silly. There's, there's no point to even have Ric Flair if that's not how you use him. And he, you know, he should be outsmarting everybody because he's just got all those years of experience. So it just didn't ring true. It wasn't a very good ending, but I, I thought it was okay. It was It was a match between a very over-the-hill Ric Flair and a very green Kenny from the Spirit Squad. So can't really argue with it. Um, just another note on Kenny Dykstra. Apparently, he's working as a trainer for WWE in the Performance Centre. Wow. Yeah. So, so he oh, might um, actually be a Hall of Famer by the end of his career completely. Then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I've got to be honest, I'm rooting for it. I've got to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, there is one note on the commentary, actually. So, and kind of to the point that James made right at the start, in that Jerry Lawler is only there to make little comments. He comments when Ric Flair goes to the top rope, he goes, oh, Rick, this must work one in a thousand times. And then he's obviously thrown off of the top rope by Kenny Dyson. And I thought, you know what, that's decent. I can yeah. handle that. Because yeah. it's something that Tom pointed out like ages ago, but we didn't get um, Rick Flair's patented delay German suplex, did we, Tinky, in this match? <laughs> you mean his, his, his vertical suplex, which. Uh, That's it, yeah. Which Tom, <laughs> Tom... German, that'd be. <laughs> that'd be... <laughs> yeah, Rick Flair does a deadlift German suplex. <laughs> No, that doesn't happen. Um, no, he did, but he didn't even do the vertical suplex, as you say. Yeah. So then we get backstage uh, another little bit of a skit. So Johnny Nitro uh, is being attended to by the doctor. And Nitro tells Melina to go and call Joey, Joey Mercury, and tell him that the Hardys will pay following Nitro's previous loss to Hardy. Melina then walks out of the uh, locker room and bumps into Victoria, who tells her about the list that she has been compiling recently and says that she's not on the list. And the reason is, is that they should work together and between them, they can take over the women's division. And if uh, Melina will help her win the title, then Victoria will give Melina the first title shot. We then get some footage of Victoria beating uh, all the women that are on her list, which include Candice Michelle, Maria and the current women's champion, Mickey James, possibly one other. But I've forgotten who it was, if there is. And then we see her taking off the victories uh, of the various women on her list leading up to a title match, which is next up against Mickey James, who is the women's champion. Any thoughts on the Johnny Nitro, Melina, Victoria bit in the backstage or their pre-match uh, video? Why didn't they flip these and have the video first to give some context for the list that Victoria has? That's why I don't understand. When she presents her with the list, I'm like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. It gives a fuck. You've got a list. You can write. Brilliant. That's not impressive. <laughs> but then when you see that this list this list is comprised of people that Victoria's beaten, it's like, oh, you can write and you can beat people up. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, old man looks so fucked off when he said that first bit. <laughs> oh, you can write. Well done. Who are these people? <laughs> I will. I will say, uh, Victoria now one of Chicago's premier restaurateurs as she owns the Square Circle restaurant in Chicago, where presumably she will have to write lists of orders on a regular basis. There you oh, go. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's the boss, so maybe not that often, but you know, yeah. when she's covering a shift. Yeah, she has to muck in now and again, I bet, especially over the last last couple of years with furloughing and everything. She's been doing loads of work. So yeah, that precedes the women's title match, Victoria versus Mickey James. Um, This one lasts for six, just under seven minutes, and ends when, unsurprisingly, uh, Melina arrives at ringside during the match, um, but Mickey James takes her down outside the ring. Melina then grabs Mickey's leg once Mickey gets back in the ring, and Victoria looks to pin Mickey. In the meantime, Candice, Michelle, and Maria come down to the ring, and they deal with Melina. And then in the ring, Mickey uh, counters Vic- a Victoria something or other, I don't know what she was going for, with a spinning DDT, allowing her to get the pinfall and retain the belt. Let's start with James on this one. This was my favourite match of the card, uh, I have to say, because I I love me some Mickey James and I love me some Victoria. So watching these two wrestle was excellent. I really did enjoy it. I just wished it could have been longer. 
despite the sloppy ending but the wrestling was great i really enjoyed it and i kind of the one thing i regret about this period is the fact that all of this stuff was kind of road agented by dave finley who's one of my favorite wrestlers ever and you can tell he's kind of like you're going to tell good basic stories that get everything over that kind of stuff is all solidly in this match and i really enjoyed it from that point of view one comment maria canellis what is she wearing that's the thing that stuck out at the end of the match. It's like, how was these outfits in style ever? It just looks horrendous. <laughs> and I understand, yes, there's sex appeal required, and Maria is a lovely lady. Uh, however, it is just like, ah. Uh. <laughs> so that thing stuck out at me at the end. But the actual match itself, I really enjoyed it. I uh, just wish it could have been longer, but that was the way of the things at the time. I... That was the way of the things at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I concur 100% with James. This is my well, this is my second favourite match in the evening. And if these two combatants had gotten 10 or 11 minutes, I think it would have been my favourite match. Because I I like Mickey James, but Victoria is fucking unbelievable. Her selling, everything she does looks like it fucking hurts. <laughs> She's absolutely amazing. I like we had her in a match not that long ago. I can't remember the show, and I was like, she's really bloody good. I remember Tom raised it as well, and I quite like the shenanigans as well because it's kind of like a feel good thing where the heel gets her comeuppance. And Jr. mentions it's like these little things that like Jr. He's bloody pro when he's on it. Like he gave some context for Lillian gets in the ring at the end and like announces and raises the hand of Mickey James because Victoria he'd said previously had tried to attack Lillian Garcia and I was like you know what that's a lovely little cherry on top of that beautiful mm. little cake that should have had a few more minutes and because there's a big so I don't think we'll get many opportunities Victoria is my MVP of the show I was going to go for the man who I've not mentioned yet who seems to be dressed like Fred Durst and he is trying to get everyone up for the show. He's just stands up. He's in a blue, like, den- I don't know whether it's a denim shirt, but like pale blue denim coloured shirt. And he's wearing a little red baseball cap backwards. And he's trying to get everyone up. And he was going to be the MPP, but I think Victoria deserves it. So well done, Victoria. And hopefully I'll come to your restaurant one day and you can give me some free food because I gave you MVP on a podcast you've probably never heard of. <laughs> But you, what you will do is when you go in, you'll make sure she listens to it so that you can Let get you right. that free food. Yeah, yeah, I thought this was all right. I'm not going to go um, quite to the extent of praise that you guys went, but it, you, you're talking about two of the at the time, two of the most accomplished women wrestlers in WWE. Um, and interesting to your point, James, about Dave Finley doing a lot of the agenting. Um, I don't know exactly what period it was that he did the agent thing i know that he did some at certain points but he mm. obviously also was wrestling as well at certain points so yeah. it's all a bit it's all a bit confused really but what i did take from it was still the fact that these two women would have better matches in tna later in their career when they both left wwe because the wwe were still presenting them as the titillation the tna the sex appeal whatever you want there's not a lot that goes into it in terms of trying to make this anything else than that. Jerry Lawler is still making his comments throughout the match. Jim Ross is doing his best, but you know why they're there. And you know that they're not really still there because they want good women's wrestling. They just want the the eye candy. So that played a big part in my enjoyment of this, which was basically this is still not 
an attempt by WWE to actually present women's wrestling um, particularly seriously, even if what they did in the ring made a lot of sense and would have in a better place and in a better presentation, you know, presented better would have been quite good. It didn't, it just didn't stick with me because of that reason. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the time there was, uh, I was watching a bit of a documentary they've just done on the, the divas area of wrestling and there was, there was interviewing Finley and it was like, well, we'd do something and we'd get away with it one week. And then the next week they'd say stop and we'd have to stop doing that. And so mm-hmm. that's how restricted it was at the time. And this is still a kind of in that rare era, but you're right. Like this is good women's wrestling in spite of WWE, not because of WWE. And we've seen that a lot. You know, I think we won, there was one or two matches. I think maybe mm. is it WrestleMania 19, the match that was at WrestleMania 19, which had been a sleeper yes. in terms of us even ever noticing it before we watched, when we watched that, we were like, this is actually really good. It's just all the presentations just all wrong. So next up is all the DX rated RKO stuff. And so we move past that on to another bit of Todd Grisham backstage. Oh, this yes. time <laughs> this time with John Cena. Cena breaks down the pre-match interview format and reels off a load of cliches as if he is um, doing a kind of spoof, I guess, of, of a pre-match interview. But then he says that all those cliches are not true and that the man he faces has never been beaten. And he says tonight he will do the only thing he knows how to do. Doesn't tell us what that is. And then says <laughs> nothing will stop him from remaining WWE champion. I was torn on this because I think it, it's very well done. But I also have a bit of a problem with it because I think what it does is it takes away from all of the other pretty much promos that are laid out exactly as he normally does it, and he points out. There's a bit like, it, he goes a bit too far in the parody. What I feel like he could have done, probably should have done, is started doing his shtick, and then said no, 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 and then got serious Cena, in inverted commas. But I think this is all right. One thing I did notice in this, though, is Todd Grisham's hair is very odd. <laughs> it's just kind of like, He's on top of his head. That's what you're struggling with, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well played, sir. I mean, it's, it's like, to be honest, it's like how I used to have my hair when I had hair. It's kind of all brushed forward, but it's not quite long enough. He lo- it looks like Lego hair, and it makes him look like a bit of a nerd. Don't that's probably what they were going for. Yeah, mm. that's a fair point, actually. Because I quite like Todd Grisham, not his commentary. And to be fair, not necessarily in these backstage segments. Just to look really at. Know. Yeah, I don't really know why I like him. But I do. I've always had a little soft spot for him. I think it's probably because when uh, when we were at WrestleMania 25, we went to the Raw the day after, and he was talking, picking up John Cena in like what would have been a television advertisement break. And he tried to say, hustle, loyalty, respect. And he said, honor, loyalty, respect. <laughs> and I shouted because we were quite near the ramp in the back row. So by the stage, they shouted, you're going to get sacked in a minute, Grisham. You're going to get sacked. I think I'll probably feel a bit bad for that. So I still <laughs> cling on to it all these years later. Well, he this was eventually a... sacked, wasn't he? So, you know. Mm. This is how far out of the loop I am on this particular period of wrestling. I was like, who's he? What, John <laughs> Cena? You should no. know John Cena. <laughs> <laughs> I, right, roughly. Um, but yeah, like, this kept saying Todd, and I'm like, who... And then it eventually clicked it was Todd Gresham because I'd never seen him before. I could not picture him at all. 
he seems competent. Um, but you're right about the breaking of the fourth wall was perhaps a bit much. It should be done in wrestling sparingly, I think, in, in this kind of situation. And it just, um, you're right, it didn't sit right because it was like, well, all the other promos have been mm-hmm. So you're <laughs> doing the grrr, if that makes sense. It's interesting because a couple of things there. First of all, Todd Grisham looking competent. Um, I think I've got, I've, no, I've got a little bit of a um, theory on this, which is I think everybody in WWE, so Matt Stryker, Josh Matthews even, and others, they look competent in WWE because WWE gives them so little to do. And, and they're so controlled. They're so heavily produced that even though they're not great, they don't need to be because they're given such a narrow scope for what they're able to do. As soon as they move outside the WWE, in wrestling at least, they then just fall to pieces, which is why I don't really like Matt Stryker either, because I just don't think he's very good. I don't think Josh Matthews is very good. I guess some of them maybe Kevin Kelly's quite good, and I think he's the kind of person who has managed to come out of that kind of very controlled environment and then still be quite decent. But in general, they don't tend to be able to do much because they're they're not selected for being good wrestling people or knowledgeable wrestling commentators they're picked to be kind of robotic people who are just going to say the same stuff over and over again so i think you can most people look quite competent in wwe because of those limited barriers for what they can actually do yeah i agree with you because like listening to kelly now on new japan as a commentator oh it's a different job to a backstage interviewer but he actually seems like the kevin kelly he always wanted to be because he doesn't have any restrictions he produces his own show there's no one in his here telling him what to say and then John Cena, the the breaking down the the kind of convention that he did at the beginning of this. I'm exactly like you, old man. I was really torn on it. At first, I was like, oh, I don't like this at all. And I thought he was just going to, that was going to be the whole promo. So I was quite happy that then he didn't. He then kind of moved on to saying something else. He kind of used it as a, that none of that would be true if I was to do the usual babyface promo. But I also don't like breaking down the conventions at all and i think if you're going to do it you've got to do it very very sparingly because you really do shit on everything else and you also make it impossible for those things those conventions to work in the future so perhaps the next night on raw somebody would be cutting a standard babyface promo because ultimately wwe have got two hours at the time and now three hours to fill of television time every single week and another two hours on on smackdown the same you know the same week and so they're going to have to put it put some promos in and those promos are going to have to be quite cliche and quite standard so you can't undercut those standard promos because you're relying on them for people to be interested in in the future so i just i think it's a i think it's a big mistake when they do this and especially when it's something that is so necessary on their own show every single mm. week that I think is a really big mistake. So after John Cena's promo, we see some camera views of the blood left by the rated, rated RKO Degeneration X match. And then footage of Chris Masters applying the Masterlock to Tori Wilson on Raw recently and Carlito making the save. That is before a match between Chris Masters and Carlito. Any thoughts on the either the camera angles the, the video <laughs> here uh, the only thing i add is that tory wilson got mastered no masters that was the that, 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 that was the term i came up with so i think i was kind of losing the will at this point masters yeah masters. yeah well when you got masters that's basically what what he would have said at the end maybe not in quite such a deep Australian accent though 
I, I don't know. I never heard Chris Masters speak. So. That's a good point. And I have seen him wrestle in Bristol. So who knows? Have you? Yeah. Yeah. Wrestle. He <laughs> was all right. He was okay. I, I, I was going to slag him off. He is the warlord with a smirk, isn't he? <laughs> and hair. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> also Lex Luger. Yeah. I had Lex Luger written down. <laughs> He's got, I mean, he's basically the narcissist gimmick, gimmick isn't it? Mm. Really? Yeah, so, definitely. Um, so Chris Masters versus Carlito is a six minute match and it ends when Masters steps into a Carlito attempt of a victory roll and gets the pin. I, I He might have also grabbed the tights, but I got to be honest, this was the piss break and I used it <laughs> as such and therefore I wasn't paying very much attention to it. Old man, your thoughts on this one? This this is nothing. Exactly what you said. This is the piss match. The highlight of the match is the dog that Tory Wilson brings down. <laughs> so for that reason, I'm giving it a solid five stars. <laughs> in fairness, in fairness, a dog in any match would be the highlight of any match. So Yeah, and um this was third on my list of match of the night, purely because of the dog. <laughs> James? I'm going to just take a step further and say the dog is my MVP of this show because it's yes! the only thing that's as much watchable. Uh, it was dreadful. <laughs> it filled five minutes and it did. It's just like, oh, what a great story to tell. The bully wins in the end anyway. Um, yes, no. They were at, at one point for both these guys quite up on them. But by this point, I think they'd lost all interest in either of them being anything. And so they just it, they, they give them so little time, they give them so little to fight over, and yeah, it's not there's not much going on here, is there? No, no. The way that uh, Christopher was mastersing people as well, and they're talking about how no one's broken his master lock should be a master's lock. Let's be honest. How they, they oh no one's ever broken it, and then they say in the match he's like oh he's been here two years. I was like two years. <laughs> if I was that. I'm not shit because it's not fair because he's not shit. But if I was that poor in terms of the basic skill set needed to do my job after two years, I can't be honest. I'd be a little bit appalled with myself. Really. <laughs> and someone, always, someone, and by that point, someone would definitely have broken your master's lock. <laughs> I don't know, mate. I'm out. I mean, also, it's, it's a full Nelson. Come on. They keep saying it's a version of a full Nelson. <laughs> what? A full Nelson. <laughs> I mean, he's 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 perfectly adequate, but you know why? You know why he's getting all this much of a chance? It's because he's got the physique, and they actually say on commentary that he's never it's never been officially broken up the mass lock, but that's because I think it has been broken, but just you got out of it on a technicality or something. Yeah, not not in a match, maybe like outside it's been broken in an interview or something like that. Yeah, I must say uh, I do like the thought of someone breaking a move by a technicality. So we then get a video hyping the main event, which is John Cena <laughs> against Umaga for the WWE title. We see footage of Umaga beating up a selection of different opponents over the previous months. We see Armando Estrada challenging Cena to face Umaga and Cena accepting. And then we also see the usual pre-match build, which is kind of interesting when you put it in line with Cena's previous uh, comments mm. about the cliched babyface promo. The match itself goes for 17 and a half minutes and it ends in a very odd way, I thought anyway. So basically, uh, Cena rolls up Umaga after getting a, a, a foot up as Umaga charges 
into the corner and he gets the pin with this roll up. I've written here, disappointing finish to a good match. Uh, old man, what were your thoughts? I completely agree because for once, and I think this is to the credit of Umanga, Cedar selling is it works in making Umanga look an absolute monster. The commentators do kind of overegg the Umanga's strength and size pudding. <laughs> so, I, I, that's what I that's what I have. <laughs> Because um, they're talking, they're talking about him like he's like seven foot and seven hundred pounds. He speaks for himself. Like this guy can fucking go, can he? Like mm. this guy is really, really fucking good. I did have a question for you, Tinky. So Umanga hits a spinning ass kick. Is it better or worse than Viscera's? Mate, nothing is better than Viscera's <laughs> spinning ass kicks. His spinning ass kick is incredible. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I really enjoy it. I so I was a bit like Cena's promo. I was torn on the finish because I liked the fact that Cena didn't just do his thing, which I thought he was going to do because he hits the five knuckle shuffle, completely no selling, pretty much everything that's gone before in the last in the previous like seven or eight minutes, and then it looks like it's just going to go through the normal thingy. It's the little like backdrop. And then Umanga makes a little comeback and then it looks like he's just going to go for the AA and then we're going to be done. Cena sells his back reasonably well, I think, in trying to get him up for the AA. But I did think the roll-up's quite a good way of protecting Umanga. They also made him look a bit stupid as well. But they kind of portray him as this Samoan savage who's not really got a brain and needs Armando Estrada to tell him to do stuff. And they kind of lean on that in the commentary as well. So it made sense, but I do completely agree that it did. It just needed a couple more minutes to get there and for it to be... What would have been better, I think, is if it had been a desperation thing for Cena, is if it had gone on a couple more minutes and it had been... Like he, uh, older Umanga, went for the Samoan spike, his little thumb, trying to jab it in Cena's throat. And he was able to duck and then roll him up and then just let down and, oh, God, I'm so tired. But up to that point, I thought this was really good. Got to be honest, this is uh, just behind the dog in the match of the night stakes. <laughs> James? Yeah, I agree with Sam. I think this match was good. And I think the ending's kind of the only way you can... If you have an undefeated streak for a monster in any era, you've got to be really careful how you get out of the undefeated streak because you have an aura issue then. You know, it's the Goldberg thing even back in the 50s and 60s, you had the same issues like I think the Sheik in uh, Toronto as much like 26 sellout nights at Maple Leaf Gardens and then lost and then three people turned up the following month. So, you know, you've got to be really careful about how you do it and I think probably this is about the only way you can do it without giving Umaga the title. But I don't see why they couldn't have given Umaga the title. I think he'd be an excellent, like, monster uh champion to to run for a while um having said that you know there there were issues towards his leaving the company and maybe that's one of the reasons why he didn't get an extended championship run because he just looks so good he looks like a really great monster wrestler should look and he had entertaining matches and 
he could go and you know Cena is no slouch here either and you're right about the selling as well it's like not being able to get your finisher on when you know it's a surefire winner is such a good story to tell and he just can't do it so he's got to figure out another way of, of winning the, the belt and from the Cena matches of the era that I've seen he seems to have the crowd more on his side this is before the go away heat he had I think there was a little elements of it there but it seemed to be like the crowd were into it once he got going and then it maybe is like a couple of years later where Cena's popularity becomes an awkward thing whereas now he's really popular because he's not there every week people are sick of him so yeah so for me I did really enjoy the match and I thought it was an intriguing main event with a good well-told story and it was kind of like the ending I'm not so bothered about because I'm kind of racking my brain to figure out how you could end it another way, keep Umaga hot and keep Cena of the championship. So it's, I'm I'm with it as it is, I think. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a very good point. I mean, it would have been very, very difficult to pull this off. And they are protecting him because they want him to be involved in the big match with Lashley, which has got Donald Trump and Vince McMahon in. So they want, they want him to still appear to be a monster at least by WrestleMania 23. So they have to do that. I mean, you could argue in that case, why put him against John Cena if you don't yeah. want to, if you don't want to <laughs> sort of um, ruin that kind of aura. But, but yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. They're probably another way to do it, but it isn't easy. And um, I like the ideal man of that desperation. And I think that's probably what they were going for here. I just don't think mm. they pulled it off. I just don't think it quite worked. Umaga is my MVP of the night. I mm. have not seen a lot of Umaga, if I'm perfectly honest, certainly not as Umaga. And the thing that came to mind when I kind of saw him in the main event was the match he has at WrestleMania 24, I think it is, against Batista, where they, I mean, Batista's phoning it in. He's not involved in a big match that night, so he's not particularly happy about it. And Umaga's not able to carry it to a decent fare. And therefore, it's one of the more forgettable things about that year's WrestleMania. And that was what I was thinking about before this match. But actually, in this match, he looks really great. He looks really good, moves really well. Cena in fairness to him, does a great job of just bumping big for him all the way through the match, mm. doing everything he can to make him look like a monster, sell the idea that he's really physically being dominated in a number of, uh, in a number of respects. And so I really liked his, uh, you know, I really love, really liked both of their performances, but Umaga, I wanted to give that kind of credit to, because I, as I said, I haven't seen him at this level before and that is also to do with the fact that I hadn't watched a lot of this stuff, you know, in when it was on, as we discussed at the very top yeah. of the show. So, yeah, I liked it. I thought it was a really decent match. I just think that the ending, I think the idea is sound, but I think the execution left something to be desired. It kind of seemed to come out of nowhere and not in a not in the way that I think they probably were going for. But mm. and also the the strange thing was the show ended quite abruptly as well. It was almost like they were rushing to get off air because yeah. Cena wins. Cena does a very small amount of celebration, gets to the top of the ramp really quickly, and then the show's finished. And it, it kind of seems to go. I was expecting something to come after the match almost to keep the feud going because they do continue on this feud for at least another month or so into the I think they have a match at the Rumble. So um, I was expecting something to happen, but it, but it didn't. So it was a bit strange. Uh, just a quick note on this feud. So they have a rematch at Royal Rumble in a last man standing match. That is fan fucking tastic. <laughs> that is arguably, it's got to be in the top five Cena matches I've ever seen easy. Mm. Okay. Like 
easy. It is fan fucking tastic. But he's a, a just a. I was reading about him after I watched the show because I remember when he passed away. It was all succeed got released, and then um, and then he. I think he passed away about three four months afterwards. But he seems like another one of these wrestlers that was addicted to painkillers and somas and valium and stuff like that. It's really sad. It is. It certainly is. Yeah, I'd seen yes. him wrestle. I'd seen him wrestle in all Japan, watching videos back, and I had a bit of a run of watching all Japan from before he went to WWE, and he seemed to have all the tools there. They ran him against Kawada for the Triple Crown, so to get that far, you really had to be quite good to be able to kind of pull off that that kind of level, really, because all Japan was still the second biggest company in Japan at the time. It's dropped off considerably since, but. He was a big name star for them and and had a run at the championship and did pretty much as well as he did in WWE. I would think, you know, it was reflective of all the talent, all the ability, all the athleticism, but not quite there for the whole package. Yeah, no, I I think he uh, showed me something in this match. And uh, I Mm. think um, I also think that they probably didn't need to saddle him with the savage style gimmick. It strikes me that when you've got somebody who can kind of move the way he does and looks quite kind of formidable physically formidable the way he does you could just go with something you know completely different you know it doesn't have to be kind of a cliche racial stereotype of a samoan person that wwe love to love to kind of hold up many many times <laughs> i mean well, samoa joe was doing the same thing in ring of honor without all of that stuff yeah, and so 13 years later, is still one of the world's major wrestling stars. And what's strange as well is that they've got Armando Estrada with him, who's a Cuban. Yeah, and I'm like, very hard. Yeah, I was like, what's going on? And to be fair, he does a cracking job, Estrada. So that's not a knock on him, but it's just very odd. He's got a lot of Cuban cigars in his bloody pocket. I'll tell you that much. Four <laughs> of them. So. What's our overall thoughts on the show? Um, really, all we want is your kind of your overall thoughts and your rating out of ten, because we're obviously given all the other stuff already. Mm. Oh man, let's start with you. I thought this was alright, you know. I confess it took me three watches to go through it, but that's more time constraints and brain dead <laughs> than anything. <laughs> but I thought this was pretty decent, and um. So with a little peep behind the curtain, I tend not to uh, write my rating down anymore. And I'll talk about it. And I'll be like, actually, yeah, because I found my ratings were changing too much. I'm going to give this, you know, I'm going to give this a seven. Because I think this is in line with Armageddon 2008, I think, that we did a couple of weeks ago. And then the the NWA show we did, which I also gave a seven in recent memory. Yeah. And I think, you know what? Yeah. For 2007, WWE, without a clue what to expect, I enjoyed this pretty much top to bottom as well. Top to bottom. (laughs) (laughs) The one-stop curtain shop. (laughs) I think we we sang that for the first time on like our second or third episode. Yeah. James. Considering how low my expectations were, it couldn't have been that bad. And I think there was some solid stuff. I like the tag team time oil. I like the women's match. I, I am quite sad. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page and I'm, I'm quite sad we didn't get to see Vladimir Kozlov versus Eugene in a one minute, 37 second match. <laughs> it was the damn match of the show. I think that's what would have zipped it up a little bit. I'm going to give it five out of 10 uh, because 
there was elements that I enjoyed, but it didn't really drag me in to the whole two and a half hours. Um, I think it was, I could dip in and out of this show um, and still get everything that I wanted out of it. But it wasn't like must-see wrestling for me. Um, but there was bits that I really enjoyed. But I, yeah, it's not as vital, I guess, for me. Yeah, I, um, I'm somewhere between the two of you. I'm giving it a six out of ten. Uh, I do kind of try to think of my rating before I go in, and then sometimes you guys sway me, but you haven't done. I think, in many <laughs> respects, you've balanced each other out. <laughs> as well as you said seven, the other one said five, and I already had six written down. So I'm going to stick with six. I thought, actually, the John Cena and Maga match was good. I thought the tag team match was was good, too, by the finish. In fact, that was the same with the John Cena and Maga match. The finish was a bit of a letdown. On the other hand, my match tonight, as I said previously, was Jeff Hardy versus... Um, Johnny Nitro I just want to keep calling him John Morrison because that's what he's more often known as in WWE um but that had a good finish so that kind of had as good of stuff as I thought some of the other the other matches but had a really good finish um and also the tag team turmoil match was not as good as those matches but still shockingly good for a tag team Mm. match I really did actually quite enjoy that so overall there wasn't a lot to dislike the worst thing on it was the Carlito Chris Masters match and that only lasted Mm. about five minutes so it was difficult to complain about there was nothing superb but there was some plenty to enjoy it wasn't a a bad show whatsoever and so uh, yeah um, and a sort of averagey sort of rating for me so that uh, ends the the show itself. Now I have got a game for us this week, and it was actually is actually been a game that was suggested to me by somebody online. Now the reason I, I'll tell you who it was in a minute, but what I the reason um, I'm talking about it like this is that this might be I don't know, but it might be the last time we do the game because for two reasons. Ooh. First of all, that it's my turn, and I was the last one to do it when we first started doing the game. But also, we're going to have from now on a little bit more of a revolving door of people on the show. So um, so I think Tom's going to do it every other week. An old man in a couple of weeks time is taking a bit of a break. So, you know, for, for only not for only for a few weeks. But the point is, is we're going to have different people on and it's going to be harder to keep up with the game. Not only that, but we've been struggling to come up with new ideas yeah. for the game. <laughs> because we've covered pretty much everything we can think of to cover. So this was suggested by Rockstar Kirky, old man's big uh, big fan. Yeah, my boy. Hello, Rockstar. Love you, mate. (laughs) And he he suggested one. Basically, we're going to go through the participants of the 1992 Royal Rumble. Now, now we covered this, of course, way back when episode <laughs> three of this very podcast, we covered this um, particular Royal Rumble. So I thought uh, so I thought, you know, it was a good good shout. And uh, I think we will. It was also, I felt, a fair shout because it wasn't like it was the 2010 Royal Rumble, for example, James, which had probably been quite a long way outside of your comfort zone. <laughs> Some people wrestled in that. They had hair. <laughs> To be fair, I'm not sure that would have differed very much from my answer to that question either. I, I'm not sure I could tell you for definite who was in the twin. So um, I think we'll give James the first dibs, given that uh, he wasn't on the episode when we covered this show. So, James, who, give us your first shout. Nature Boy Ric Flair. Woo. Good stuff. Uh Hulk Hogan and his T-shirt that does a lot of choking. <laughs> 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 Certainly does. 
Um, Davy Boy Smith. Correct. Uh, do, 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 the Big Boss Man. Yes, correct. Um, Sid Justice. Oh, Sid Justice. That's correct. That is a great shout. Uh, Roddy Pipes. <laughs> Roddy Pipes <laughs> is correct. Um, I'm thinking backwards in the eliminations in my head, so I think it was the Undertaker. Yep, he's correct. Okay. Uh, Erwin R. Scheister. Erwin R. Scheister is correct. Macho Man Randy Savage. Yes, Randy Savage. Uh, Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels is correct. Doing very uh, well, guys. Jake the Steak Roberts. Jake Roberts is correct. I think you're probably already further than I would have got here. To <laughs> uh, Tanker. Mm, afraid not. No, I'm oh. afraid not. <laughs> <laughs> No to Tanka in the 19-round Just a bit too early for him, I think, um, yeah. in fairness. He probably had debuted in WWF television by this point, but hadn't been on a major show. Oh, shit. I got me SummerSlams wrong. I've got... I'm trying <laughs> to think of people who wrestled at SummerSlam 92. Obviously, that was after this event. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> oh. James, did you have anybody else that you were lining up? Uh, Carrie Von Eric would have been next was in there i can't tell uh, you if it was next but in my head greg valentine would also have been in there i think yeah um randy savage, randy savage uh ted dibiase yeah you can't just yeah. say uh randy savage over and over again by the way <laughs> i'm just now i'm just mumbling <laughs> in my head like trying to think about who else was randy, in savage, uh, randy savage no i think that's about oh uh, was volkov in there who sorry volkov Nikolai Nikolai Volkov. Volkov was in there, yes. Um, I think I'm running out of steam at that particular point. Jimmy Snooker. Uh, yes. Um, yeah, that's about it. Uh, oh no, Aku and Barbarian, they were in it as well. <laughs> you say that's it one more time. You're gonna you're gonna get more answers. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's about as well. That's as much as I can remember. I feel better for you having got. A decent number because I've got Bret Hart. No. Jim the Anvil. Nope. Rick Martel. Rick Martel, yes. Mr. Perfect. Uh, no. No, no, of course he's not. He's at the end. Fuck me, Sam. Jesus. Um, <laughs> Mar- Marty Janetti. Don't think so, no, because he'd just no. been taken out by the barbershop window. Yeah. yeah, he'd just been suspended at that point, and Neidhart tagged with Owen against the Owens Express and the opening match. Lovely. Yeah, it did. That's a cracking little one, isn't it? Mm. It is, yeah. Yeah, and uh, the only other one I had, Sergeant Slaughter. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, that makes me feel better that only <laughs> two, of, two of the list that I had. That's all right. Oh, Duggan. Yeah, Jim Duggan. Uh, let's have a think. Who else? How many have we got? You've only got nine more to get. Oh, oh um, James, I reckon between us, we can do this. Yeah, I reckon so as well. I'm trying to think <laughs> yeah. now. Uh, I have a very... Uh, uh, Iron Sheik's Mustafa. Yeah, Colonel Mustafa. That's the one. Uh, what about Hawking Animal? No. No, they, no, they were in New Japan at the time. Um 
Well, I, don't know, I think they, I think they were in one of the, I think they were in the tag title match earlier in the show. Oh yeah, yeah, no, they, they weren't there much longer after that, though, were they? So they got to SummerSlam. SummerSlam '92 was the last time they wrestled. Was Crush on there somewhere? Uh, no. No, no. He might have been in prison at that particular point, thinking about it. Um, <laughs> um, so I'll give you a couple of, I'll give you a couple of clues. There are lots. There are lots of these that have either been in tag teams or were in tag teams at the time. That's actually Cuckoo the best. Beware. The best one I give you. No. Oh, come on, Tinky. <laughs> I think I'm just going to tell you because otherwise it's yeah. going to get very dull yeah. for our listeners. So we have got. Um, these are in entrance order, by the way. So the fourth entrant, which you didn't get, was Jerry Sags. Oh, so you're going to have knobs in there as well, somewhere, aren't you? Brian yeah. Knobs is not in there. Isn't he? Oh, no. oh psyche um, <laughs> Seventh entrant was Tito Santana. Of course. Tenth was uh, Repo Man, uh, who was obviously Smash, so his tag team clue. Fourteen and fourteenth entrant was Hercules. Twenty-second entrant was the Berserker. Twenty-third was Virgil, and finally number thirty, not uh, Tom's favourite version of him. But uh, he prefers the Powers of Pain version. But the Warlord was number thirteen. Uh, there you go. So there we go. That wraps all of our business up for today. Um, nothing else to do but to thank you for listening to us and getting all this way through the show. Old man, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you very much. And thank you to everyone for letting us bring in the new year with a new format. But you don't need to remember that because we'll be here every week. You just got to remember. Ken Patera. And James, thank you for your contributions as well. Thank you very much, sir. I really appreciate it. I always love coming on the show because it's always a ton of fun. This has been the Random Wrestling Review. We'll be back again next week. But until then, take care. <laughs>